And now I'd like to introduce Lisa Ruby, a founding member of the church and our board president for the sermon. Um, that was amazing. Thank you. So, yes, I'm Lisa Ruby. I've been on the board of Blue Ocean since we started. I'm currently the president. I've been the president on and off for a little bit. Uh, so welcome to Blue Ocean. Let's, let's start with a story. So about 20, 25 years ago, um, I was a runner. I'm not a runner anymore. I'm a walker. But back then, I ran. I was a jogger. I participated in some some events, you know, here and there, nothing big, but I, I ran on a regular basis, and so I'd go three, four miles at a time. And so uh, when my son was younger, he's 29 now, but back then he would come with me. And so this is when he was small enough that I could boss him around. He didn't have a choice. We're going running, honey, okay. So when he was older, he would ride his bike with me. But when he was younger, I'd push him in a jogging stroller up until probably age three or four. So I'm jogging and going slow, and we're going out. So um, if people are familiar with Ann Arbor, it was on Huron Parkway. So it's usually a busier road, but at that, it was on a Sunday morning, so it wasn't very busy. Early in the morning, and we're going out and back. There's a really nice bike path. The road itself was a little busier. So we head out. It's nice. It's cool. It's like 8 o'clock in the morning. We turn around to come back. It's about a mile to get home, and the skies turn black. The wind picks up, and it starts pouring. So it's pouring rain, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm running in this rain. And so my son got a little concerned, but as you know with kids, as your kids get more concerned, you get calmer. So he's like, mommy, mommy, it's raining, I'm getting wet. Oh, it's okay, honey, we're really close to home, no worries. And in my head I'm thinking, we're not really close to home, I can't really see, and it's pouring rain. So we had no choice, we just kept going forward, and a few minutes into this, I, I see out of the corner of my eye a car has pulled to the side of the road. And a man gets out and he's gesturing wildly to us and I can't really hear him and I can't really see him. So I'm like, yeah, hey, I don't know what's going on but I need to keep moving because I'm getting wet. He keeps gesturing, he keeps waving and I figure I better go interact with him. Maybe something's happened to him because of the rain. So I get down to the road, it's not that far, and he says, do you guys need a ride? And I look at him and I look at us, soaked to the bone, this big jogging stroller, and I said, no, no, no that's okay, we're not that far from home, we'll be fine. Which, thereupon, my son starts crying, Mommy, we need a ride! So, all right, we, we'll get a ride from you, against kind of my better judgment, but he looked like a fine, upstanding citizen. We go to the car, I look in the car, there's three other people in the car, and they're clearly dressed for church. They're dressed up, and I'm like, oh my God, we are soaked, we're going to get in the car, we're going to be smushed together, and the guy insists, no, no, it's fine. So we smush in the car. I, I definitely got these people on either side of me wet. My son was smushed in the front. Put the jogging stroller in the back, and they drive us home. And I was very grateful for their help. I was home. I was warm. And yeah, so let me just put some questions in your mind before I continue. If you were in that situation, would you have stopped and offered me and my son a ride? Would you have accepted the ride? Would you have driven by us and later said, oh man, I wonder what happened to that lady and her son. Maybe I should have stopped for them. Or would you not have even noticed? You were blasting your stereo. Maybe you were a passenger and you were on your cell phone. So bookmark that for a moment. And I want to talk about, um, in the Jewish tradition, there's a term called mitzvah. So mitzvah is Hebrew. And I grew up in a Jewish household. And growing up in a Jewish household, mitzvah meant a good deed. Like as in, 
do a mitzvah, help that woman across the street. Or if I talk to my dad and say, oh, Lisa and I did such and such. Oh, you did a mitzvah. So growing up, that's what I knew a mitzvah to be. And then coming to Blue Ocean, we used to participate in what are called mitzvah days. So mitzvah days are days where any group really, but typically a church or a temple, they gather up their congregants, whoever wants to volunteer, and they identify places in the community to go do good deeds. And so we used to have mitzvah days here. We would participate in uh, with Temple Beth Emeth and St. Clair's, who are also here and have these organized mitzvah days. So what you may not know is that the literal translation of mitzvah is commandment. And the plural of that is mitzvot. And I just have to say that because I'm going to use it later. So you or your kids may have heard of a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, attended one of those. And the literal translation of that is son of the commandments is bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, daughter of the commandments. And so the commandments, uh, the most popular commandments, which actually coincides with today um, being the shivuot, or the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. So what you may not know, again, is that Jesus, during the time of Jesus, there were 613 commandments. Now, some of these were in the Bible, arguably in the Bible, and then the rest were, at the time, what Jewish scholars would argue about. They decided there are 630 commandments or laws that Jews are supposed to abide by in order to be good Jews. And so they were arguing all the time, what were the most important mitzvot? So was it keeping the Sabbath, keeping kosher, circumcision. They, I mean, we've talked about it in here before. They, they love to have big conversations and debate about what was the most important things going on in the Bible and how to live your life. Well, so this is important to keep in mind when Jesus was asked, asked which commandment is the greatest. So they were really, I mean, not only were they asking him for like, well, you know, you're a smart guy. What do you think? But they're asking him to choose sides because then you could say, yeah, this is what Jesus thinks because he picked mine. So in Matthew 22:36, he's asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, first, with a commandment, which is from Deuteronomy, you shall love the, God, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Then he goes on to say, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So here Jesus is essentially boiling down 613 laws or commandments into these two. And it was no accident that he pairs love of God with love of neighbor. And the message I got from this is loving your neighbor is important as loving God, or that loving your neighbor is a way of loving God and a way to connect with God. So, but what does that mean in practice? What does it mean to love your neighbor and who is your neighbor? Is your neighbor your actual neighbor? Is it your coworker? Is it a woman and a child who are running in a rainstorm? Now, depending on how you look at it, Lisa and I have four or five actual literal neighbors because our yard is kind of weird. And so we try to get along with all of them, uh, some better than others. I'm sure they look at us in the same manner, like whether it's a neighbor, we have to deal with you. So in that case, it's very concrete. Those are my actual neighbors. But if we pull back, we're still faced with the question of, who is our neighbor, and who is this neighbor we're supposed to love, and how are we supposed to love them? So to help us here, Luke offers the parable of the Good Samaritan. So when he's asked by a, a lawyer, sorry, me, I'm a lawyer, who his neighbor is, Jesus tells the story of an individual of Samarian descent who goes out of his way to help a complete stranger, an injured man, uh, even taking him to an inn and paying for his stay there. You know, in the parable, it's a Jewish man. He's stripped, beaten, robbed, and left half dead, lying in the street. And the story says 
that he was ignored by a, a passing priest and a Levite. So these are supposed to be people of high society who supposedly would help an injured person. But they walk by him, and the person least likely to help him is the Samaritan. But he was the only one who stopped, thus being a true neighbor. He stops and he cares for him when other people pass him by. So perhaps the message is your neighbor is anybody who needs help, anyone who needs our help, um, if they're, even if you're tired, if we don't like the person, if we don't like what they look like, they don't look like us, they don't speak our language, someone you know, someone you don't know, or, I mean, it could be your, your actual neighbor. So this can be a tricky situation. Are we being asked to leap into action for every random person that we might see? Like, are you my neighbor? I'm not sure. You could be my neighbor. Do you fit under this? Um, do we help total strangers? That could be potentially scary, possibly dangerous. What if we offend someone by offering our help? What if we're shy? What if we're introverted? So it can be vague, and yet this is what we're called to do. So another story. About maybe a month ago, I'm in the thrift store, which is around the corner from my house. It's actually called the thrift store. It's one of my favorite thrift stores. It's very small. So it's not overwhelming. I went there in the middle of the day, quick trip. And it's uh, the women who run the store. I always have to be careful when I say they were older because I'm older. They're like in their 70s or 80s. And there's usually four of them. And there's a little assembly line. And they all take a piece of clothing and fold it up and hand it to the next one. And the cashier rings it up. So I'm in there and I'm near the register because nothing's really far from the register. And there's a, a woman, a black woman, I would say she was in her 70s. And she's checking out. And I overhear one of the cashiers say to her, well, the voucher you have is only for $50. And she says, the other woman says, where's the voucher from? Oh, it's from Jewish Family Services. And so they say to the woman, you might have more than $50 worth of items here, but you can only spend $50. So uh, a voucher like that is for someone who is in need, and then another nonprofit gives it to the person and says, you can go spend this at this place. So it could be the thrift store, it could be Goodwill, it could be Qantas. And as I'm standing there, and this woman says, okay, that's, that's great, that's fine. And I'm thinking, I want to help her. But what do I do? I do nothing. I freeze. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm white. She's black. Does she think I have like white savior syndrome if I go to help her? But what if I don't help her? She just has a few more items. I shouldn't just stand here. I can pay for the rest of her stuff. And as I'm standing there, I, I'm sort of channeling my wife. We'll talk more about later. I'm like, just get over yourself. So I go to the cashier, and I said, Whatever's over $50, I would like to pay for. And the woman said, thank you so much. My house burned down. I'm staying with my grandson. So it was very quiet. It wasn't a big like, oh, look at her. Woo so I just quietly paid, which is what I wanted. The woman was grateful. She didn't give me the evil eye. And life went on. So I felt like I made the right choice in that situation. So, I mean, helping people helps. It's good for our mental health. It helps connect us to God. And it helps connect us to one another. So you might have recently seen the Surgeon General published a, a tome, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who's the Surgeon General, and he said the loneliness is an epidemic. More than half of Americans, according to a 2021 poll, report being lonely. And young people are twice as likely to report being lonely as those over age 65. It's become an epidemic. It's more harmful to our health than smoking cigarettes. And so when they talk about young people, I don't know a lot of young people. I work with some young people. I'm friends with some. So I, I was just chatting with them about this. And so anecdotally, I can tell you the, the three I've spoke to, 
totally confirmed this. They said, people don't want to go out. We want to go out. Nobody wants to go out. They feel like they don't have close friends. The friends they have, they feel like they can't confide in. They can't be vulnerable with them. The other person's like, oh, no, I don't want to hear that. They look on social media, even though like you could say everyone's on social media. They're comparing their lives to other people, and they're lonely, and they are trying to become less isolated. And so then the question becomes, how do we connect in this virtual world? So the human desire to help others is wired into our brains. Most people feel the urge to help even if they don't do it. So you may have been in a situation and looked at it and with regret afterwards and said, man, I should have helped out. Um, like, have you thought, I should have offered my seat on the bus to that person. I should have helped someone with their groceries. I should have taken that heavy bag off the carousel at the airport, and yet we don't, or else we don't see it happening because we're too busy. We're looking at our phones, we're running late for a meeting, we're grumpy, we don't want anybody to talk to us, and yet you might witness someone else doing that and thought, oh, I should have done that. So there's an innate nature to try to help one another. And it's important to remember that helping others is a learned behavior. When kids see their parents or spouses see one another helping, it becomes a lesson. It seems it's, it's something we look at and think, oh, I should emulate that. I should do that. And I can tell you that in my life with my, my wife who's here, she is the kindest person I know. Okay, get a little teary. So um, she regularly notices people in need and helps them. Like I could literally turn around and be like, where, where is she? Because she's going to give someone, even yesterday, a bottle of, oh, she's crying, a bottle of water. I turn around, we're on a walk, and I'm talking, bah, 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 bah. Behind me, she's unhelpless woman who's walking with her walker saying, oh, I have a bottle of water, it's not even open. And the woman's like, no, 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 I'm okay. She, um, she drove, a, this is a great story, I'm not gonna tell it, you can ask her later. She drove a stranger home to get her ID. So she'd gone to the bank, this woman lost her, um, forgot her driver's license, and she'd taken the bus to get there. So Lisa comes home, I'm like, you were gone for an hour to go to the bank. She tells you this whole story how she drove this woman home to get her driver's license and come back to the bank so she could get money out of the bank. So we've been together um, 17 years, 17 years. That was a good emotional break. And I can tell you that over time, I have learned to be, I, I mean, I've, I've always been like a kind person and a helpful person. There's actually people in the room I've known longer than Lisa. I hope they would agree with that. But what I have learned from her is to not hesitate or not hesitate as much. Because I think we often have that urge to help and then we talk ourselves out of it, the moment passes and someone else does it. But I really feel like it's muscle memory. It's like learning to be a good listener. The more you do it, the more likely it's gonna become instinctive. So over time, I've gotten better at it, and I feel like we all can get better at it, wherever we are. Now, studies suggest that altruistic behaviors not only benefit other people, but they benefit ourselves, because we feel better when we help people. And when you help others, it creates change in your brain that creates happiness. So studies after studies show that it will help us and help those around us. So, so what do we do about it, right? So you might be sitting here listening to me and thinking that this type of action would make you feel uncomfortable for a variety of reasons. It's not easy to turn thought into action. Again, someone might get offended if we offer help. They might be afraid of us. We might not have time. And so I'll give you one suggestion is to volunteer. So Dr. Murthy and his 
the paper that he wrote, he talks about the, the positive benefits of volunteering. Volunteering is also easy in the sense that it's scheduled. So you can kind of, whatever, don't look at things the rest of the time. I'm not really saying that. But if you volunteer and have something on your schedule, you know, and someone else is organizing it for you, where you need to be, what you need to do, someone else is telling you, and you can fulfill this mitzvah of volunteering. It takes the randomness out of it, but I think that's 100% fine. There's so many opportunities to volunteer, and there's so many benefits to it. So, of course... I will put out a plug for volunteering here at Blue Ocean. We have the Hope Center, and you can go to the Hope Clinic, and you can help distribute food uh, that we've been doing for 25, 30 years now. We have a gardening club. You can assist in childcare and the sound team. There's many, many ways to volunteer here at church. But you might be sick of people at church. Go volunteer somewhere else. You might not want that close interaction. You can, I, I volunteered at a hospice once. I hated it. So if you volunteer for something and you don't like it, quit. Find something else. You don't have to do the thing just because you tried the thing. There's the Huron River watershed. They have opportunities to go out in nature and volunteer. So it's more like parallel play. Parallel play is great for introverts. Someone's next to you fishing, you know, getting mud out of the river, and you're getting mud out of the river, and maybe you can chat and say, oh, you know, where do you live? What do you do? It creates a sense of belonging, and it reduces isolation. But what if even this is making you cringe? Like, I, I just can't do another commitment, Lisa. I hear you, I feel you, but I can't do it. You can be kind. Kind is helping. So if you don't have the time and energy to volunteer, just be kind. One of the easiest ways to put love in the universe is through our little words, I'm sorry, our words and our small deeds by being kind. So even being kind is an antidote to isolation and creates a sense of belonging. Um, it, people, people feel better when they engage in acts of kindness, even if it's not helping, helping someone and having to have a conversation with them. It can be a really heavy life. I mean, we live in an electronic age, um, but we can look up and we can help with acts of kindness and we can observe acts of kindness, even if we don't do them, and that will also make us feel better. I can tell you I walk my dog every day and I don't complain to Lisa every day, but I tell you every day I see people walking their dogs or their children and they're not paying attention to them. They're on their phones. And what I want to say to them is, look up, look at nature, look at me, or get your dog out of my way, or talk to your kid. I mean, the kids are just like this. And I know that when I used to take my son out, I'd say, look at the bird, look at the squirrel, look at this. They're not engaging. And I wish that they would do so because they've carve this time out of their life to do that thing, and yet they're not present in the thing that they're doing. So in order to be kind, we have to notice other people, but I think that we do that already to some degree. I heard somebody sneeze. I didn't bless them in the middle of the sermon, but we bless total strangers, right? We random person. We say, God bless you. We open a door for someone who's going in a building. We let someone go in the checkout line ahead of us, I hope, when we have a full basket and they have a loaf of bread. So if we're paying attention we can engage in these small little acts of kindness, even though it's not always easy to do, but you can practice it. It has to be practiced in order to develop this muscle memory. So maybe in the morning when you get up or when you leave work or when you go to work, whether your work's in your house, you're actually driving somewhere, you're going to the drugstore, you're coming to church, you just stop, you take a breath, you take a moment and say, I'm gonna do one thing today that's gonna help me well, I'm going to test Lisa and see if I feel more connected if I do this thing that she's told me is going to help. So you might um, 
just look someone in the eye, thank them for something. You might tell the cashier that you like their tattoo and you don't have to like their tattoo. Just engage with them. And we put, as we put more energy into the world, you'll see that you feel more connected. Let's believe that. Let's believe we're going to feel more connected if we do this and then, and then give it a try. Um, you can send a package, a care package. You can send flowers. You can send a handwritten thank you note. I'm think, trying to think of things that don't cost money. Give away an item that you were going to sell. Um, just make eye contact and thank people. I find myself having to focus on this. I'm going through the checkout line. I'm signing a bill. I'm picking up carryout at Leo's. It's like, here's your card. Here's your pin. Sign here. And then it's really easy. You're looking down. Take your stuff and go. Just make yourself look up and find those person's eyes and just say, thank you. I think that you'll feel it when you do this. I mean, brief encounters with strangers can really bring connection. And that connection is so important for our mental health. And you know here at church, we prioritize connection. And so we're here... Like, we're all here ready to do church. Um, and I feel like one of the, it's one of the best things we have going for church is we have this spirit in the church, and we can say it's God's spirit. We can say it's nature's spirit, wherever your belief systems lie. But we have love in the church. We have love in this building, and we feel this spirit. So what if we take this spirit out into the world and believe that we bring the church with us, that we bring God with us, and that every encounter we have with another human being is holy. And we're creating a little sanctuary in time for us and for those people that we interact with. And what, a, what an amazing impact we will have out in the world. And also for us, because it makes you feel good and connected and happy when we interact with people in that way. So... Um, it's a great first step when you step out to keep these things in mind. You don't have to travel far to find these opportunities. Um, I think about like back when Jesus spoke these words about the, the Good Samaritan and helping your neighbor and being kind. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have cars. They didn't have books. Life was much slower, and so they were forced to some degree to interact with one another. Well, it's not, it's not such a bad lesson to think about that in these terms, because the need for human connection remains. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to accept this, that this might help you feel better, make the world a better place, and to find opportunities to bring God's kingdom to earth. And what a wonderful world it would be. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. That was so, so good. And um, normally after a sermon, we do a, a brief meditation. And I just was thinking, you know, um, there's this story, and I'm not going to get the names right, but there's a young prophet who um, keeps hearing their name called, and they keep showing up, like to, to the, the other, um, I think it was a priest that was taking care of him. And he's like, here I am. And he's like, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And so then he hears his name again, here I am. I didn't call you, go back to bed. And here I am. And um, finally he said, it's God, God's calling you. Just say, here I am, Lord. And so the prophet said, here I am, Lord, and received God's message. And I just feel like Lisa is like, here I am. Like, I am present, here am I. Like, it just embodies that. So I think maybe in honor of Lisa and, and 
the gardening club and the theology on tap and the board and all that Lisa does for Blue Ocean. Always, here I am, here am I. Let's do a brief meditation um, and maybe just we could um, breathe in and hold our breath for a moment and then release as a meditative practice of grounding. And um, as we do that, let's breathe in. Here am I. Hold your breath. Release. Here am I. Breathe in deep. Here am I. And release. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa.